What Your Mum Told Me Last Night, written by Ben Tallon, narrated by Ben Tallon. The following stories are bonus stories from Your Mum and other stories from the back streets of Britain, which is my third book, independently published, and you can grab that now over at bentallonwriter.com. Along the way, I uh, invited people to submit their own finds, and I chose six of them to continue uh, the pattern of finding abandoned items from British streets and seasides and fields um, and just got you know even more surreal with these things and, and really ran with the theme of these little vignette passing moments so I hope you enjoy what you're about to hear uh, this is a little exclusive six-story audiobook off the back of your mum and it's a little thank you for all the support that's been received along the way and a little teaser into what you can get with the main audiobook from your mum so you can grab that now from all good audiobook retailers the book is also out on ebook um the paperback is actually limited um so grab your copy now you can find that in the shop at bentallandwriter.com as mentioned enjoy blue thunder coast billy couldn't got a nans while he was hard it was just wrong this was no run-of-the-mill morning stand. No, this was a lighthouse glistening on a clear day clifftop. It had been an accident. In the dark, he chanced his arm outside the duvet and snatched up what he'd mistaken for paracetamol. How wrong he'd been. Light-headed in Sainsbury's supermarket from the blood-working overtime elsewhere in his body, he'd still managed to get the most of Nan's big shop. But by the time he'd made the checkouts, the thing under his belt... Felt like it might burst out and give someone grounds for compensation. It raged, all red and sadistic, a blue thunder torpedo launched straight at his dignity on a Friday morning. Now, lurched over in agony around the corner from a flat, he wanted to cry. He'd laugh one day if he could avoid death or serious injury. Why were they even on the bedside table? Cynthia must have wanted some action and took matters into her own hands when he got in from the pub, unable to meet her needs. He pulled out the box and read the instructions. Take one tablet, one hour, before sex. Swallow the tablet whole with a drink of water. Do not take more than one tablet a day. He gobbled down three without a second thought. A lively gust of wind snatched the paper and box from his hand and it danced down the street back towards the supermarket. Some teenager who never had to worry about performing to save a marriage would get a laugh out of that. Billy dropped to one knee and started to pull the items out of the bag. From the bottom, he took out a bag of frozen peas and jammed it down the front of his trousers. Oh, it felt good. He let out a life-affirming gasp of relief. If it meant no visit to A&E during Covid, then she could do without them. It's not like they were bread or milk and he could bin the receipt. Nan was full of chat. She talked about her mum's war stories, other hardships before the virus. She remarked that this was the first real hardship Billy would have known in his life. He writhed in his chair each time she gazed off into the past, feeling the dribble of the thawing peas in his pants and nodded during every pause. If only she knew the toils of my life, he thought as some game show entered its final throws on the TV. If only she knew what shared this room with us. He told her they were short of peas. Something to do with delivery, congestion because of the virus. 
I can run round the corner shop and see if they've got them there, Nan. The pain angrily throbbed, worse than before, now that the bag was as warm and mushy against his gleaming problem. Oh no, I've had plenty of tins in and Norma's bringing me some lamb from the local butcher this evening. Just get them next time if they're back in. She talks about how the neighbours have been wonderful during lockdown. Billy couldn't hear what she was saying because of the fire raging between his legs. Could it come off? Would they need to operate? This was the kind of unfolding story which would make the local news to cheer people up after the latest daily death toll or even if he was added to the count. Deep in thought, he turned to notice Nan making her way across the living room, dragging her slippered feet along the rug. Ten quid, note held out, clasped between two bony, cold hands. Gratuity for his time, money he could not accept. But without much choice in the matter, she hadn't done this for years. Strange that she should do it now, in his early forties. He stood to greet her and forgot himself, as his hands raised to take the money. One, then two and three peas rolled out from the cuff of his trousers. They looked down at them together. With that, half of the bag gave way, and a plastic rustle and green clumps of half-thawed green balls fell out in piles like mouldy cartoon clouds. The game show had ended well for one ecstatic family, and their shrieks of joy created a warped juxtaposition against the disgusted grimace on Nan's face as she watched what was left of the bag flop out over his shoe. She sighed and turned away. Ah, I thought this might answer my question, she said, thumbing the ten quid back into her purse. It's like they say, I suppose the apple doesn't fall too far from the tree. His dad had gone down for stalking some mother from school when he was eight. Nan had him guilty by association. I'll give you until next week to think about your behaviour, lovey. You want to be careful doing that out in public. They cut them off for that in some countries. No, 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 Nan, Nan, honestly, look, peas. I suppose it's better than prostitutes. Make sure you push the door closed on your way out, won't you? Don't want that draft getting in. Statistics. Sonny agreed with his mum. Dad sounded panicked. But he denied it in his scary whisper. He hissed a lot these days. Look at them over there on those bikes. Why are their bloody hoods up? It's only just started raining. Is that what we've to put up with in society now? Knives left out on garden walls. Where are their parents? I'm reporting it. Monique craned her neck to see out of the car window. Don't swear in front of him, she warned. Bloody's not a swear word. You're not reporting anything. Just because they dress like that doesn't mean they're carrying knives. You just see that on the news and believe it's happening everywhere. Why would they have a bread knife anyway? That's ridiculous. Nothing to do with them. Whoever lives in that house probably left it there by mistake. Anyway, is that brother of yours coming or what? I don't know. I'm not psychic, am I? Let me ring him. Monique sighed and glanced back at Sonny in his booster seat. He was lost in thought. The boy wasn't immune to Creeper's whining any more than she was. It was too toxic lately, and she worried what impact it was having on his eight-year-old mind. Sonny knew the child locks were on, but he wanted to see if the knife would come out of the block in his hands like the sword in the stone, which they'd watched last Christmas. It was the same as a kitchen knife standing the one at home, but it housed only one. That had to be a sign. Where else, would, where else would it all be on the wall next to the car? The teenagers rode off and out of sight. One pulled an impossible wheelie. Mum chuckled. Dad's shoulders went up. He kept quiet. Uncle Ad shuffled around the corner from the tube station in his baggy jeans, beanie hat, 
bottle of orange lucasade dangling from his hand, half covered by a tattered jumper sleeve. Monique could see the hangover tiptoeing behind him, sticking its tongue out, making rude gestures. Creeper mumbled something with a shake of the head and opened the passenger door to greet him. Sonny tensed up and slowly, silently unclipped his seatbelt. Nobody heard it. Through the constellation of raindrops on the windscreen, Dad and Uncle Ad looked like Hall of Mirrors creatures. Ad flapped his arms defensively as Dad grilled him about keeping them weighing, about another hangover. Have you any homework to finish this after before you play on Fortnite, lovely? The cogs in Sonny's scheming mind turned and it took a few seconds to realise Mum had asked him a question. His heart began to race when she shifted in the passenger seat to turn to him and he spoke too quickly. He had no reason to be unclipped. Yeah, no, I mean, science, but it's it's done. She nodded and turned her back before she saw when the men returned to the car. Sonny, squeeze up and let Uncle Ad get in. Disappointed with his missed opportunity, he started to shuffle his backside towards the centre of the car as Ad bent down to see his nephew with alarmingly red aniseed ball eyes. Hello, Sonny. Budge up. Let your uncle in. The smell of stale booze was strong. He got one leg in the footwell, but his other slipped off the curb and his hand fell to clutch the wet car roof. He dropped the Lucasade as he collapsed backwards in comical slow motion. Change spilled out of his pocket and rolled every which way. Oh my days, look at the state of him, cried Monique as Creeper put his face in his hands. Sonny saw this opportunity and scrambled out of the vehicle over the top of his flailing, asshole uncle. Creeper assumed he'd gone to get help, but desperately writhed out from his seatbelt when he saw his son reaching for the knife. Monique didn't know what was happening and froze in confusion. Creeper shouted his son's name but stopped in his tracks a few yards short of him, backed up as the boy turned and held the bread knife aloft in both hands. The grin on his firstborn's face, manufactured by Disney, so innocent and playful, was pinched at the corners and twisted into some hellish Daily Mail statistic by the time his father's optic nerves gobbled up and choked down this sinister scene here in Islington. Three directors. The fresh hole in the basketball court fence bought Angelo precious extra minutes. Minutes that might save his life. It was dark on the other side, and his scrawny legs, liquefied with terror, barely supported him as he skidded across sparkling wet November grass. It felt inevitable that his reckoning should take place here. In the waste disposal area of a high-rise apartment block, his father kicked him out over the age of 15. While he doubted those who had come for him would actually end him over the unusual debt, seeing it happen for lesser arrears than this. When it came to these faceless overlords, their expressive and unpredictable brand of vengeance set them apart from common bastards and concerned him far more than death. Nobody wanted to be the blank canvas for cerebral assassins, dark artists who made intricate mosaics with the minds of even the most together of crooks. His asthma wanted to rage. Back against the wall, Angelo drew as much air as his pinhole throat would permit, tried to calm his mind. Cornered with vermin, down to 8% foam battery, his only source of light was about to die and a flickbook of panicked thoughts animated possible grisly ends in his racing mind. Tears welled and his bottom lip curled with his late mother's voice, which began to murmur disapproval in his head. He developed immunity to father's rage, by necessity. But she was different. Her disappointed eyes buckled his knees and he slid down the wall. 
It was then, in his near submission, as his arm flopped by his side, that the shard of white phone light kissed the edge of a megalithic-sized tube TV. From this angle, backed by its monstrous shadow, it wasn't much smaller than the dumpsters. Somehow, the artifact still wore its rabbit ears, as if it had been sent forward two decades across time, all dolled up to charm its way into one last living room before HD finished off the species. Down on one knee, his eyes danced on the void, dark entrance, looking for their awful silhouettes. Cold, slimy trash water seeped through his trousers, but dirt was the least of his concerns. One last glance reaffirmed the only way out was the way in, and to attempt that back up was suicide. Angelo's shaking hand wrapped a nearby rock. Using the jagged end of it, and what little strength he had left, he drove it into the near-bulletproof screen glass four times until it gave way. With the remaining wires and broken bulbs writhed out of it, in desperate, lacerated handfuls, there was no hesitation as he folded his five-foot frame into the hangar-sized interior of the set. He'd seen something close to this during a trip to the Chinese State Circus with his ex-wife, and had wondered how the fellow had managed it. Perhaps he too had debts with the devil's people, he supposed now, as he held the dumpster wheel and hauled the TV into a grinding semicircle. When it was close enough to hide the set's open front against the cold metal, he turned the light off on his phone. The agony of glass piercing the skin around his ribcage made comfort impossible. But it would have to do. They would look in and around the dumpsters. Textbook rat catching. But this box, which provided him with a great many escapes when life was heavy, introduced him to now long-dead teenage dreams of a career in Hollywood. Movie star, writer, or hell, even an extra might yet be his salvation. If he could just go undetected long enough to fight another day, maybe he'd check to see if a dim pulse might be detected in those dreams. Silence descended. For a second, the white noise in his head stopped. Then, out of some dripping sack in a womb of hell, the sound of expensive shoes and low-income pavement, gentle at first, then here, full of sadistic intent, echoing all around, closing in. They stopped nearby. His calf started to cramp, and the glass dug deeper into flesh and bone. Blood rushed to his head, and he almost passed out. But bit down on his hoodie with bleeding gums and ravaged teeth, his temples pounding like ceremonial drums. Despite the tunnel vision, he grew peripherally aware of dancing white light on another mobile phone, probing the night. Clamped his eyes shut and actually said a prayer. Angelo's heart sank deeper the longer those who sought him did not move. Hinges squealed. A dumpster lid opened and slammed shut. Repeat. The TV began to move. At first, it slid away from the bin, small stones under it scratching a half-moon hieroglyphic of his dismal last moments. Then, the strangest sensation of levitation, a sinister reflection of being scooped up by his father in a rare moment of pure love. Childhood lightness of being. He could see the court from up here was busier than before. Maybe twelve teenagers had gathered furiously into the business end of their game. Grunts and urgent smacks of squeaks of soul on wet court made it all this way. Nobody said a word as they carried their neatly packaged prey towards the game. He pondered prying his body out of the set so he could try to flee, but a sigh was all he could muster. <sighs> Angela had nothing left. 
One by one, the players abandoned tracking their opponents, forgot about their ambitious shots and dramatic dunks. Curious as cats, they turned to take in the strange scene. Some smirked, but most maintained deadpan expressions. One or two sensed a rare brand of evil. None of this brought him hope of a heroic intervention. When they lowered him onto the court, he hoped he'd plunge straight through and into eternal flame. At least he had a rough idea of what that entailed. Two of the players jogged away and out through the court door, happy to miss whatever pitch he was about to start rolling if it meant safety. Most stood still. Suburban statues sponsored by Nike. Then, three sets of smart trousers and shiny shoes. One brown with solid gold buckles. A set of large, green suede loafers with tassels. And finally, a pair of red-heeled boots and stockinged, well-defined legs. They did not bend to address him, and he could see only as far as their shoulders before the top of the TV set cut off his vision. That was fine. Like a startled tortoise, he had no desire to look into the eyes above the salivating jaws. Beyond them, a huddled mesh of basketball players observed him as if he were an endangered species of snake. A mix of fear and curiosity, overriding the sense that it is wrong to encourage the captivity of wild creatures. Be Jennifer Aniston. One of them spoke. Deep, not a hint of jest. A voice so mechanical, he wondered if it was programmed. But pardon, sir? Angelo chanced, confusion pinning down his ability to process such a blindsiding sentence. The feet in the green suede took a small step closer. He did not expect them to repeat the command. As crazy as the idea seemed, as hard as it was to process, he closed his eyes and thought of that show. What was it? Friends. Mother had banned it because it did not represent black people, but it had been impossible to entirely ignore back then. What were their names? Ron, 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 Ross, Ross. Yes, Ross. Maybe. A surge of nausea and anxiety blasted through his chest and guts before in a shaky, childlike voice he squeaked, Oh, hi, Ross. Would you like coffee? Pathetic. He closed his eyes and waited for the gunshot. When he opened them, nothing had changed except one of the basketball kids silently folded over in hysterical laughter, ploughing his face into the shoulder of his friend before he was shoved away. His captors remained motionless until the woman spoke. Look, what's that light in the sky? Is it an alien? Better ask Mulder. It dawned on him. The TV, the 90s, they were creative. He had to give it to them. He swallowed hard, forcing back down the rising vomit. He had loved the X-Files, wanted to marry Scully. He'd had fantasies of meeting her on set the quiet crew member, to woo and ground the superstar. This one was easy. Spooky. Do you think I'm spooky? He asked, trying to ape David Duchovny's iconic paranormal investigator's classic line. Contorted in the set, his lungs pushed out a barely audible rasp. As he finished the quote, he waggled his visible hand as if he were frightening a child and pursed his mouth into an O. This time, two of the basketball players lost their composure in fits of giggles. One of them tried to ask what this was about, but a piston of an arm belonging to the brown shoes slowly raised and pulled a handgun from a coat pocket before dropping it back in, enough to slice the inquiry in two. They really worked him. He knew when he jumped into bed with these people that money, drugs and human trafficking was not their style. Nobody could tell you exactly what was.
Oscar the Grouch was made to sing about trash. They crowbarred snappy one-liners out of Jerry Seinfeld. Without canned laughter, this was a tragedy fit for his funeral. Besides, the one-way ticket on a downward spiral had taught him the funniest things in life should not be laughed at. He slobbered the opening two lines of The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air before it descended into a garbled slur of nonsense. They changed the pace. Tony Soprano barked a lesson about respect. The sadistic bastards even had him officiate what they believed to be a fabricated dispute with Jerry Springer. It was his standout performance of the night because he failed to convince mum and dad to stay together again as they rolled around on stage. Their lack of anything back from them. Rage, amusement, explanation. Convinced Angelo these psychopaths were seeing beyond him into some alternate reality where QVC and daytime infomercials fought sleepy screen wars. The basketball players at first were drawn to the spectacle, but their hanging postures told another story. They wanted to be anywhere else but when this humiliation passed the one-hour mark. When they had him speed-talking low-budget commercials, if he struggled to recall shows and certain characters, the three directors held out hands in which cell phones were placed. They brought up the shows on YouTube to refresh Angelo's memory. It was relentless. Finally, when he broke down in tears, unable to give any more, the directors exited stage left and right, out of sight, and up he went in his 92-inch shell into the night once more. He saw teenagers shrink and vanish as they poured out of the court. Some abandoned their jackets and drinks bottles in the scramble to escape their live acid trip. No credits rolled. Light receded and they carried him back through the fence hall. He had stopped sobbing by now. Even that was beyond this broken man. He wondered if the now empty court might be the last thing he saw as the muddy shadows of the waste disposal area swallowed what was left of him. They placed him back where they had found him and walked away. Their debt repaid. The rain started to drum on the box. Angelo either passed out or fell asleep. The end. What your mum told me last night. By Ben Talon. Narrated by Ben Talon. You can pick up your mum and other stories from the back streets of Britain in paperback form from bentalonwriter.com forward slash shop. You can also grab the ebook and the audiobook from all good retailers now. Thank you.